OpenServe, South Africa's largest broadband infrastructure provider, is proudly connecting you with this podcast. OpenServe understands the importance of connectivity for businesses, large and small, and for the people of South Africa, because a connected home or business is where all the right connections happen. Visit our website at openserve.co.za or connect with us on LinkedIn or Facebook to see how we are connecting South Africa and beyond to our high-speed broadband infrastructure. In this episode, we'll touch on a number of different topics. These will include how a fast and reliable internet connection can benefit a smart home, the trials and tribulations of working from home, how a fast internet connection can benefit your business, and one of my favorite topics, the Internet of Things. So whether you work from home, own a big business, or have drones and smart sensors protecting your assets, this OpenServe podcast is the one for you. Today I'd like to introduce you to tech guru, Arthur Goldstock. So Arthur, tell us a little bit about yourself. What do you do now and how long have you been in the tech space? It's hard to say how long I've been in the space, but I started writing regularly about uh, tech as long ago as I think it was 1985 when I wrote a feature for SAA's InFlight magazine on how computers would be used to track Halley's Comet. And it combined two of my passions. One was uh, space travel and science fiction, and the other one uh, was computers, not uh, how they work, but what one can do with them. And that's always defined my approach to writing about computers and technology is what one can do rather than how it works. But the uh, real kickstart of writing about tech came when I was news editor of the Weekly Mail between 1990 and 92, and I started a technology supplement for the newspaper. And that evolved into PC Review, which was the first consumer technology supplement to a mainstream newspaper in South Africa. In fact, probably the first consumer technology publication at all in South Africa, because up to that point, coverage of uh, computers and technology was all around trade and enterprise usage. And that then led to quite an intensive focus on this new thing called the internet when it first emerged. And in 1994, we ran the first real focus, a big supplement in PC Review um, on the internet. So the first focus in South Africa in mainstream media. And part of that was a story about how I had used the internet to write one of my urban legends books. So that's what I was doing as an author up to then. I produced three books on urban legends. And the third one, which was about the South African elections, had uh, been extensively researched via this emerging thing called the internet. They used to have something called news groups um, on a network called Usenet that was part of the internet. And uh, that uh, proved to be invaluable in getting international variations on the stories I was picking up in South Africa. And in that 1994 uh, special focus on the internet, I wrote a story entitled How the Internet Wrote My Book. And uh, Greg Gordon, who was one of the early tech journalists in South Africa, writing for the Sunday Times at the time, picked up on that. And he wrote a story in the Sunday Times interviewing me about how the internet wrote my book. 
And then a publisher straight saw that article and asked me to write a book about how to use the internet in South Africa. That became the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Internet in 1995. And after that, my career was on a completely different trajectory. I'd also been a music journalist at the time. I was South African correspondent for Billboard magazine. Loved it, but it didn't generate much income. And almost overnight, the internet completely swamped the work I was doing in music journalism. And I had to curtail that. And I became a full-on tech journalist, consultant, researcher. Had my first, what we now call the startup, but my first uh, internet business back then, looking at publishing, research, and consulting. And part of the outcome of that was the creation of Gadget magazine. So in 1998, Gadget became South Africa's first online consumer technology magazine and still going to this day. Nice, nice. That, that's that's some fantastic insight into your background as well. I just want to add in, uh, there was a time in my childhood that I remember where myself and my dad were standing outside and I was trying to figure out what was going on. And he looked at me and he was like, look at that in the sky. And I was like, what is that, Dad? And he was like, it's Hades Comet. So you just brought back a, a absolutely stunning memory from my past. Um, and thank you for that, Arthur, because, yeah, that, that, that was my, my first time also with uh, when it came to outer space and astrology and all of that. I saw Hades Comet. I've, I've also got a lot of interest in what's out there. I mean, we can't be alone in this universe. There's, there's no way it's possible from my perspective. But it's also great to hear how the internet actually from start to now developed your career. It was integral uh, to my career, and uh, today I essentially operate on the internet. So when lockdown came along and people began working remotely, to me that was just everyone else now operating the way I had been for at least a decade. Although the internet had been around since uh, the mid-90s as a commercial entity, and I've been using it actively and writing about it intensively, it was really only in around 2010 when the cloud came into its own that I started being able to uh, function almost entirely online. Although the first cloud computing service emerged in 2006, it took a few years for me to completely integrate myself and put my faith in the cloud. And that was thanks to writing one of my books and spending a whole day on a chapter and my hard drive suddenly crashing at about four in the afternoon. And I used to back up overnight. And at that moment, well, once I got over the shock, horror, and grief of losing something that I spent so much time creating, I also realized now I have to move full on into the cloud. And whatever I do has to be not backed up, but actually has to be done in the cloud. So from 2010 onwards, I was operating in the cloud and um, it really transformed my ability to function, to perform, to produce and do everything else that I'm doing as well. So I have a multi-pronged career today that would not be possible without the internet. 
Yeah, I think that's it's also helped me quite a bit as well. I mean, I'm doing Zoom calls now, interviews, podcasts, that sort of thing. Uh, obviously, I do run my own tech publication online as well, YouTube channel. And I mean, if I look at my past from when I started using the internet, the, the functionality of it has helped my career out quite a fair amount as well. Um, but I want to move into a topic that I wanted to chat to you about today. So it comes to internet speeds and how a fast, reliable internet connection can benefit smart homes. So what are your thoughts on this? In effect, the smart home depends also on the smart environment to which one is plugged in. So it's all very well to have, uh, let's say, uh, lights that will respond to voice commands or being able to control all the electronics in your house from uh, one spot. But the problem with that is that you're not always in your home, um, but also you don't always have the ability to use that central or centralized uh, control uh, panel, let's say. Uh, the first smart homes that I ever saw had that setup where you had a control panel in maybe two places in the house, typically the bedroom and the office or study or equivalent to that. And to change anything or to make any um, adjustments to what is happening in the home, you would have to go to that point. With the advent of smartphones and apps that can control and manage the a smart home, that suddenly goes out the window. You don't need a central control uh, panel. It's almost archaic to see those systems today. Not only can you be anywhere in the home or on your property, but you can be anywhere in the world and control uh, the smart home. And uh, that's where internet speeds or rather reliable internet connectivity comes into its own. It's not that it has to be fast, but that it has to be reliable. When you select an, a function, or an action that it actually happens. And that's not going to happen without a reliable connection. Exactly. I mean, as I mentioned in the podcast previously, I run a smart home. I've got uh, automated lights, automated uh, settings around the house, TV switches on at half past seven in the morning. So I can pop in, catch up on the news after taking the kids to school, all of that. My office lights come on at around about 8.30 a.m. just before work. And it, it's nice having that sort of connection. But um, when it comes to the internet dropping, that kind of disappears as well, which is where reliability comes in, as you mentioned. So as we are talking about smart homes, could you let us know a little bit about your house, your setup? What do you have there? What sort of gears Arthur running? <laughs> well, the real issue is that a, a smart home also depends on everyone in that home wanting to be part of a smart home. And I found over the years that my family is not particularly interested in being able to control everything from a smartphone or uh, from a device or via uh, devices because it's actually quite a clunky way of uh, managing a home. And uh, I had the equivalent experience in a car that I tried out this week that is managed via an app. And it was so frustrating. Every time you wanted to lock the car, 
you had to open up the app. And if your phone, uh, for example, was on, um, on, on a screensaver, you had to unlock your phone before you could unlock your car or lock your car. So that, that kind of symbolizes the drawback of this, the kind of smart home that we're talking about. It's different if everything is voice controlled and you walk through the house and you clap your hands and light goes on and that kind of thing. But then you talk about having to have sensors and uh, various um, mechanisms to manage those sensors. And it just becomes very complicated for everybody in the household. It's great for one person or a couple who uh, are aligned in their thinking and want everything to work in a similar way. But the moment you have a larger family, then that um, in fact dictates the extent to which you can embrace the, the smart home. And the smart home tends to get in the way of family interactions. So initially, I tried to put together a smart, a smart home uh, setup, buying the pieces one by one, which is quite frustrating. Uh, looking for decent deals on Amazon.com for smart plugs, for example. So the idea was I would turn every plug into a smart plug, but I would buy these one by one or two at a time when I could find a decent deal because they were so expensive. And I wasn't going to go all in in terms of investing in this without knowing how well it works. And then gradually, I would also buy the smart bulbs in the same way. But then I ran into the issue of the family not really wanting this stuff to get in the way of what they were doing. What I do have is um, an Amazon Echo uh, device, which is quite cool, but I keep it in the office as a novelty more than anything else. And I can use it to control a light in a different room, but um, it's a clunky way of controlling a light in a different room. Far more effective ways walking into the room and switching on uh, the light using something called a light switch. I don't know if you remember those <laughs> from your youth, but, uh, it's, it's to me a case of a smart home for its own sake is not very smart. I do use Google Assistant, but primarily, again, when I'm testing cars, which is part of what I do as a tech journalist, I do a lot of uh, test drives where I test the technology in uh, new cars and I connect uh, Android Auto to the car and I find that the navigation via Google Maps always is far more effective than any built-in navigation on any car, but also the voice control via Google Assistant is far more effective, efficient, and that it actually works than any voice control in any car I've yet tried. So that's where, in effect, the smart home gets transferred to the smart car for me. So I love the smart car, but I'm not in love with the smart home. Mm. See, whereas in from my point of view, I I love having a smart home because, uh, okay, obviously your your kids are a lot older now and all of that. Whereas in mine are still sprouting, as to say, so I've got my my four year old and then I've got my youngest and then I've got my my oldest who's fourteen. Where they're they're loving it so she'll have a, a google nest uh in her bedroom and she can play music on it uh, it's not that loud so it doesn't interfere with anything else in the house and then uh, from a perspective of smart lighting and everything my my four-year-old still likes to have the 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 light in her room on 
and just to be like, okay, what color would you like your light tonight? And she'll say pink or purple or orange and all of that. That That's a nice additional that's thing to cool. have. But also it can be a little bit cumbersome because I have to walk through to the bedroom to use the smart hub to change the lighting and all of that, where that all-important switch on the wall that we're talking about, a very archaic device nowadays, um, it, it helps. And also having a faster internet connection helps with it as well, because when I try to reach out to my Google Assistant, the light's on before I even finish my command, which is fantastic on that side. So now, Arthur, I know that you've done a lot of research and Arthur Goldstuck is a household name in the tech industry. Uh, to me, you're one of the most, how can I say, respected tech journalists um, Thank you, within South Africa. So um, I just wanted to ask, uh, for those who work from home, much like yourself and myself, how would that faster internet connection benefit someone who's, say, for instance, working through the cloud, uh, using Teams or, or Zoom like we're doing now? Uh, what are the benefits uh, for, how can I say, uh, I call them work from homies. So what is your perspective on that? Uh, what, do you, what do you think? What's, what's the best guidance that you can give? There's quite a few angles to that. The first thing that I will say is that for now, fiber beats anything else in terms of connectivity. And I don't care what people say about their 4G or 5G experience. It's going to be affected by the weather. It's going to be affected by the number of people on the network, etc. cetera. Um, in terms of a home office usage, I'm not talking about being able to be mobile with that. I do believe in time, 5G will probably uh, catch up and perhaps overtake fiber, but again, not in terms of reliability. So the very first thing, if you're working from home and if your connectivity is mission critical, in other words, you have regular meetings or presentations. So I give a lot of talks, for example, and my talks primarily are via Zoom or uh, Teams sometimes other platforms as well. And for those, a solid connection is absolutely critical. So sometimes my fiber does go down, but then I have backups. I have various backups, including fixed uh, mobile, as well as uh, various um, MiFi dongles. And those MiFi dongles, which seem like a, a very weak um, alternative, uh, in, in fact, have saved my I won't say my career, but certainly my reputation on a number of occasions when suddenly fiber went down in our area. But fiber is the backbone, the foundation for decent connectivity. Uh, a lot of people will say, but I don't need a strong connection. Well, it also depends on your working setup. If you are working from home and you have a family that's also at home, and let's say your spouse is working online as well. Let's say you've got kids who are attending school, um, et cetera. The uh, smaller the pipe, the less efficient that pipe becomes. And uh, people who use, let's say, for example, a, a 20, megabyte, uh, 20 megabit per second line for themselves will find it adequate. 
But the moment you start sharing it with other people, it becomes a major issue. So if you're watching Netflix or let's say someone else in the house is watching Netflix while you're on a Zoom call, you can expect the quality of your connectivity to degrade significantly. And the point there is that you actually have to slice and dice uh, the connectivity. And the more bandwidth uh, you have, the easier it becomes to slice and dice without a noticeable impact on your performance. It's astonishing how much bandwidth a Netflix movie in high definition can suck up. It doesn't seem like it because it seems like they're just watching TV, but it's not just watching uh, TV. And then the same with if um, you on certain video conferencing platforms that use high definition, they also suck up a huge amount of data. So go with the biggest part that you can afford and it makes sense. So you don't have to go with a one gig line, for example, just because it's the biggest you can afford. It might not make sense to go that far unless you're running a home office and you've got 10 people all doing video conferencing or watching Netflix um, at the same time. Then you're going to need that one gig pipe. So um, I've uh, basically settled for the time being on a, on a 100 meg per second up, 100 meg per second down uh, line. Um, I might um, double that to 200 up and down. But for now, I don't see the need to go to the one gig per second option that uh, tends to be available. But I do fully expect in the next five years or so that I'll wonder how I ever uh, got by without a one gig per second uh, fiber line. So that's that's also something that I've experienced as well. So we, we started off on the 10 meg. 10 meg uh, down, 10 meg up. Then I moved it to 2020. And let's not talk about that yet. Um, but then I pushed it up to around about 50-50. And I still noticed that even though I'm taking international calls and stuff like that, and also doing uh, Zoom conferences, interviews, podcasts, I, how can I say, I jacked it up to 100-100. And that was fine for a while until, how can I say, like, as I said, I've got kids and all of that. So while the teenager is playing Fortnite and the younger one's on her tablet and the wife is watching Netflix, I noticed uh, it was sort of affecting me at 100-100, but not that much and i just i just went full on with the one gig line so one gig up 100 down and everything and it's it's worked perfectly so from what you just mentioned i can't imagine life without a one gig line the fast and reliable broadband network from OpenServe makes content streaming like listening to this podcast browsing and interacting hassle-free Find out more at openserve.co.za and download the OpenServe Connect app from your app store. I imagine I'll have the same attitude in a couple of years' time. What I will say is if you are doing serious gaming, then that one gig line comes into its own. If anyone in the household is doing serious gaming, because uh, then the speed of the line also goes hand in hand with uh, dramatically reduced latency. And latency is a major factor, which I think we'll talk about a bit more still. But latency is a key element of your uh, choice of connectivity technology.
Like I, I run a lot of gaming consoles in the house as well, so I've seen uh, it uh, affect the latency. So let's move into that discussion quickly on latency. How important is it to, how can I say, get to to the right latency of your setup and how to prevent high latency when it comes to products connecting to your fiber line? So the key to low latency is obviously wanting to reduce lag between what you say and what someone else hears you say and their ability to respond. Or if you're in gaming, to have instant response when you're doing online gaming and especially competing with someone uh, online, then that latency becomes a critical competitive differentiator. But that also then takes it into the business environment. And we'll talk about the Internet of Things uh, shortly. But latency becomes a major issue when you're talking about the Internet of Things, connecting devices uh, that act as sensors in the environment and then activate um, processes based on what is happening in the environment. That reaction to the environment is severely um, degraded by a latency and by a lag. Same also in anything to do with financial services. If one's involved in trading, for example, then you need to be able to respond uh, moment to moment. If you're shopping online and there are limited deals available, for example, like when the likes of, remember in the days of air travel, mm. uh, there were um, airlines that used to sell tickets online. Um, apparently, they're going to be doing that again. But yeah. You often had these special deals from Kalula and Mango and, and, and the like where they would make a limited number of tickets available for a ridiculously low amount, like five rand for a ticket or something. And uh, same with Black Friday deals where limited numbers of uh, um, products would be available at a ridiculously low price for a very limited period. And the people who are most likely to win those deals, whether it's a ticket or a dirt cheap um, high-end TV were people who had a very good connection with almost no latency. And when they hit the button, the instruction went through instantly. Whereas when you have a slow connection or you have poor latency, then uh, chances are you actually not going to win that deal because uh, the time between you clicking the button and it's actually registering on the other side is enough for the product to be sold out uh, completely. So that's the, uh, the broad issue around latency. How to prevent increased uh, latency, aside from the speed of your connection, which obviously is a key to it as well, is to make sure that you are as close to your access point as possible with the computer you're using. So in my case, um, my house stretches out, um, let's say, um, horizontally um, to the extent where the fiber box is not really accessible from the office. So I have range extenders that link from the fiber box to uh, the bedrooms, to the office. And the result is that thanks to fairly good range extenders, I have fairly good connectivity and very low lag in my office. But prior to getting that sorted out, I was having huge issues because of having weaker range extenders. 
and finding that there was both poor performance from a speed point of view and a tremendous lag in terms of the time it was taking for the signals to get through the walls um, and the like. It sounds uh, trivial that those kinds of uh, barriers or issues could have such an impact on uh, latency, but it does. It has a significant impact. So if you find that you have high latency despite having a, a good connection, it's usually because your range extenders are low quality. Um, and uh, there, there are a few things you can uh, look at there. Uh, and but, but one of the most obvious when you're shopping for range extenders, a lot of people buy it at electronic stores or online. Very often, they'll come with a, a, a rating, which will be either N150 or N300, which speaks to the speed of the extender, but it's also about the power of the extender. And I found that N150 extenders were useless. N300 uh, initially resolved my problems before I went for more high-end uh, extenders. And my advice to individuals who have approached me about range extenders has always been go for the N300 rather than the, the N150 or replace your N150 with the N300. And in, I'd say, 100% of uh, cases where people have asked me for advice on a personal level on that question, it has resolved the issue. Nice. Thank you for that insight. So you mentioned we're going to be touching on the Internet of Things. So I do have a few questions when it comes to that regard. So what benefits do faster speeds give big businesses? So we're, we're looking at, uh, say, for instance, connecting out to drones. Uh, how can I say smart cameras, smart sensors that may perhaps be, uh, how can I say, when I, when I went to IoT, conference they they actually had sensors in sewage pipes that they were connecting to to check the flow of the water uh, that sort of thing the pressure if there were any cracks in the pipes so how do do faster speeds assist big businesses uh, when it comes to the internet of things and those devices you gave a great example uh, one of the most uh, cost-effective uses of IoT from the point of view of a return on investment is using it in uh, water and sewage systems for leak detection, but also for pressure measurement. And uh, what that allows is for you to be alerted the moment there is a leak or a drop in pressure that can result in pipes bursting and the like. And the quicker you can pick that up, of course, uh, the quicker you can avoid uh, further damage. And the issue with water systems, electrical systems, and the like, when it comes to faults and damage, is if you don't pick it up fast enough and if you don't resolve it fast enough, it results in a, a domino effect of knock-on damage. And one small fault can become a very expensive fault. And the Internet of Things is going to be as obvious to utilities in the coming years as having an internet connection for email or a website is now for um, almost all businesses. It's actually amazing that utilities haven't caught onto it globally and universally, uh, but it will happen soon. So that's one area where IoT is already evolving rapidly and most ERP systems 
enterprise resource planning systems now integrate some level of IoT functionality specifically for this reason, so that you can monitor your systems as part of your entire logistics chain. But uh, where, um, again, uh, internet speeds and uh, low latency come into their own as well. When you're looking at things like drones, for example, and smart cameras, the longer the latency, the more you are operating in the past. So you're using a drone, for example, for security uh, to patrol the perimeter of a, a warehouse or a, a railway stockyard, for example, or cell phone towers. If you spot something untoward, then the uh, latency of that connection will tell you how far in the past that happened, firstly. But secondly, it also tells you how quickly you can react and how much of an impact it will make if you're able to react uh, more quickly or more slowly. So the ability to respond the moment there is an incident or an issue is dictated by that a latency and also of course by speed but the latency here becomes more important than the speed the speed becomes especially important when it comes to the definition of what you're doing in other words a drone will have uh, video cameras built into it and ideally those will be high definition cameras but with a poor connection the high definition is going to break up so you want high speed and high definition for maximum impact and efficiency. And I'll take that uh, back down to earth as well to um, point out how the, the Internet of Things interacts with the um, data center. So everyone talks about uh, connectivity from the data center to the edge and how important it is for there to be reduced latency between the data center and the edge because the data center is where your uh, data is held. It's also where your applications are running. The edge is where data is being collected and gets sent back to the data center to be integrated with the rest of the data for decisions to be made, typically using artificial intelligence, and to send an instruction back to the edge based on the decision that's been made as a result of the data that's been collected and integrated um, in the data center. So when you start looking at all of those moving parts, you realize how important it is to have as low latency as uh, possible. And this becomes even more significant when you realize that most of these systems were built around five to 10 years ago in terms of the networks that are being used. So the typical enterprise network is an aging network and the switches built into that network typically um, were designed to connect computers with uh, printers and with each other and with um, remote offices perhaps via your um, internet connection through the cloud. Those networks were never designed for the internet of things. So the internet of things is being bolted on to aging networks that are not actually up to uh, the task. And that's where you often see 
the internet of things break down and where sensors don't deliver on, it's because the core of the network is not up to date and therefore not up to the task of handling the internet of things. So I actually want to tell you about a really cool experience that, that I got to, how can I say, um, play a part in. I went through to a security company and what happened was they they were demoing some of their technology, their connectivity, their small little data center and everything. So what we did was we would take a walk around the yard and all of a sudden, you'd feel this pop beneath your feet. You'd be covered in purple ink. And all of a sudden, you've got cameras on you, which have also been connected to the internet. And all of a sudden, you've got this drone flying in the air, following you around. And that purple dye, what, what they did was they actually used it to track my footprints across wow. the security facility. Oh, wow. So... I decided to hide in a bush and I didn't really know that the die was going to allow the cameras and the drone to follow me, but it was just, how can I say the, the power of the connectivity with cameras and the drones and the data center and everything. And they were ready to find me in less than 45 seconds just Amazing. by following that paint. So it's a great example of integrating um, all the moving parts yeah, so let's let's talk about development and uh, that sort of thing. So when it comes to actual developers of applications, um, how does this help the the teams? How can I say move better, faster, and more versatile when it comes to creating apps? This would be in relation to a faster internet connection, better tools, that sort of thing. It's a, a very interesting question. Uh, which is what people usually say when they don't know what the answer is to give them time to think about the answer. But it really is an interesting question because it is one that I've uh, thought about a lot when looking at how apps and the functionality of apps has evolved as the functionality of smartphones has evolved, but also as uh, speeds have evolved. So there are things that you can do with apps today that were impossible uh, 10 years ago because the smartphone functionality wasn't there and also the um, connectivity uh, wasn't up to uh, the task. So it's astonishing the extent to which, for example, you can use uh, video conferencing on a smartphone app uh, almost as effectively as uh, on, a, on, on a computer, but uh, even uh, more, more so the extent to which the cameras on phones are now so far superior to almost anything that you can connect uh, to a computer in terms of high-definition um, imagery and being able to share that high-definition imagery, whether it's video uh, or uh, stills, with anyone else through various uh, apps in real time. That kind of gives us a sense of how dramatically the functionality of um, smartphones has evolved, but also what impact the um, faster internet speeds have made on that uh, functionality. That's the most basic example of all. The numerous apps where you can see the significance of high speeds, low latency, etc. And mostly you experience that when you don't have a reliable connection. Have you tried um, 
ordering or tracking an Uber when you've got very poor connectivity, incredibly frustrating. Mm. Uh, but it's what would have been the standard experience if Uber had been around uh, 10 years ago. Um, and the industry would probably have uh, been um, stillborn if they'd emerged at that stage based on the functionality at the time. So we're going to see increasing functionality all the time, improved speeds all the time. And based on that alone, you'll see significant evolution um, of apps. You're already seeing uh, the integration of so many financial services options into banking apps, for example, that wouldn't have been possible just five years ago. Uh, when you look at how uh, powerful most of the banking apps are and how much you can do uh, with them, it's astonishing. It's far more than you can possibly do in a physical uh, bank branch, and uh, that's in your hands. Now, think forward to when the Internet of Things starts becoming a real thing for all consumers, and you can start interacting with data that's being collected in the environment. Um, we already have examples of that, like the weather, for example, and uh, traffic. So you can monitor traffic through the mapping app on your phone. You can uh, monitor weather shifts um, at the moment by the hour, and eventually by the second, you'll be able to uh, get the exact weather forecast for an exact spot um, at an exact time um, in the very near uh, future. So think about that already being available and then extrapolate that into an environment where every element of uh, environmental information is now available uh, to you, whether it's atmospheric information, pollen information, the amount of people with colds walking around in your um, environment based on um, the uh, the virus count in the air or the germ count in the air, things like that, uh, that becomes possible. And that starts opening the way also for uh, app developers to come up with fascinating new tools and uh, approaches. So already you can do some rough diagnostics with your smartphone of various aspects of your health combined with the, with the smartwatch. Um, the smartwatch now is a basic diagnostic tool which some doctors are starting to realize is actually going to make their job easier and more effective. Although a lot of doctors see it as something that's trying to compete with them. So they are still stuck in the 20th century in terms of trying to avoid the use of this incredibly powerful tool. But I do believe that in the coming uh, decade, um, healthcare will um, come into its own in terms of not just acknowledging and recognizing, but also integrating the uh, tools that uh, are on the phone and therefore the kind of apps that will become available will uh, be quite transformative of individual healthcare. The other area that obviously is going to shift dramatically is your experience in a car, whether you own that car yourself, uh, whether it's a ride-sharing car or a ride-hailing uh, car. Um, a lot of the activity around that car is going to be based on the Internet of Things, and particularly with the arrival of 5G and cars being able to interrogate the environment, uh, speak to the environment, and also uh, integrate with your smartphone. 
that is going to create a whole new family or a whole new industry of apps as well. So I want to touch on the uh, tracking the traffic and the pollen counts and all of that, those lovely things that we do in the mornings before we even open our eyes. Um, So as a use case from my side, what I generally do is I'll open up my my phone. It's connected via Wi-Fi to my fiber connection and everything. I'll check the weather, check the news. I'll, I'll see whether I can go for a run or whether there's a storm outside. And then just also going into smart applications and health. Um, I use a smartwatch which keeps track of my heart rate, that sort of thing, and also my location. So what my wife can do is now, obviously, with the power of the internet of things, she can, if I go for a run or I go for a cycle or it's raining outside and I have to train indoors, then uh, she can at least track my location. So that, that's also a benefit of it now, especially when it comes to not just exercising and everything, but a safety perspective as well. So I can tell that my daughter's at LA now because I'm connected to the fiber connection. She's connected to the fiber connection there. And Google Maps shows her location. Even if she is on a mobile connection, I can still track her, see what's happening and all of that. So it is... Uh, helpful in the health and sector space, but also in the safety space as well. No question about it. In fact, I've had a number of inquiries in the last couple of years about how a smartwatch can be used to track someone who has Alzheimer's, for example, um, and who's, uh, who sometimes slips out of uh, the, the house. Um, and they desperately need to keep tabs on that person. And uh, IoT, the smartwatch, smartphones, all coming to their own in that environment. It obviously needed the breakthrough of a SIM card or an eSIM being built into the smartwatch. But that is now available and that is now becoming more and more commonplace in the near future. Um, and when I say near future, I'm talking about during this decade, uh, every smartwatch will be a connected watch. So the smartwatch I use at the moment has GPS which means that it can track my runs. And when I get back uh, to, to my house, it then uploads that into the smartphone app and I can see the map of where I ran. But while I'm running, it's not connected um, to anything. It's just collecting information and then it's going to share it. But that's because um, of the generation of technology that it is and also where the technology is at in terms of making it of economically viable to build that tech into the watch. Five years from now, it'll be a joke that uh, we used to uh, wonder when we'd have phones that could function, I mean, smartwatches that could function as phones um, independently. So, Arthur, with the pandemic hitting, how have you seen uh, the adoption of fiber connections increase since 2020, especially in South Africa? The interesting thing is that the increased uptake of fiber has had a direct parallel with the increased uptake of online shopping. People realized with lockdown that they had to embrace online shopping if they had the means. Of course, it was no longer something that younger people did or tech savvy people did. It was now something that everybody 
uh, had to be able to do if they wanted to carry on functioning uh, normally and efficiently. And exactly the same with Fiverr, as people began working from home, if they were knowledge workers, if they were having to work remotely, it became a requirement rather than a nice to have. So Fiverr evolved, as with online retail, from a nice to have to a have to have. So that underpins the significant growth that we've seen in Fiverr uptake in um, the past year or so. What has also gone hand in hand with that, though, is increasingly cost-effective means of trenching. The technology has advanced dramatically. The efficiency of laying down fiber has increased significantly um, as well. And various kinds of uh, fiber and fiber alternatives or equivalents have also uh, come to market. So that has also helped to transform the um, the demand landscape for fiber. And now something that was unthinkable five years ago is being talked about. The idea of having a, a national project to roll out fiber to all homes with all operators, uh, all providers being part of that. That is something that people are more and more uh, discussing. And I do think that it's a possibility in the coming decade it should be treated on the same basis as electricity and running water. So in terms of providing basic utilities to all households, fiber should be part of that as well. All right. That, that's great to hear. I have the, the same perspective on it as well. So electricity, running water, and a solid internet connection is definitely what's needed in today's infrastructure especially when it comes to local areas even how can i say the areas out of the populated cities so your farm areas that sort of thing so it's it's nice to see that the fiber companies are actually implementing trenching and like when you go into an area you'll see that uh, perhaps open serves working in that area doing a bit of trenching there and hooking the area up so that's that that's great to see now I want to find out something from your side. Worldwide works. How does a faster and more reliable internet connection benefit your business? As I know that you do a lot of research. And as I mentioned earlier, you you are one of, you're, you're a household name as a journalist. We, we all know you. We all love you. Uh, I mean, Arthur Goldstuck, if you don't know who Arthur Goldstuck is, where have you been in this life? Thank you, Daryl. A few areas where the fast internet uh, connection is so critical to uh, what I do. So perhaps I should give a broad overview. I do still operate as a journalist. I publish an online magazine called Gadget, and I write uh, weekly columns for the Sunday Times and for uh, The Citizen. But in a way, that is just a side hustle. The core business is the market research. And I have a small team that I work with, and um, we also work with outsourced strategic partners in terms of the field work that uh, we conduct. And then the third um, area that has become more and more significant for me over the last few years has been uh, speaking at corporate events, at conferences, and the like. And I've got very involved 
in the Professional Speaking Association of uh, South Africa in recent years. In fact, this year they uh, inducted me into the Professional Speakers Hall of Fame. So it was quite a landmark here for me as a speaker. But the reason I bring that up is because it highlights the fact that speaking is now at the heart of everything I do. The research feeds into the speaking, the writing feeds into the speaking, and of course, speaking feeds back into the writing um, as well. But they're all heavily integrated. But the speaking side of things could not have taken off in the way it did in the last few years, were it not for the ability to provide a high-quality um, webinar, speaking, training, and um, panel uh, presence through a decent internet connection. From a worldwide works point of view, the research and collaboration all happens via uh, tools like Slack and Teams. So Slack has now become our go-to um, alternative. And then maintaining Gadget, which is also in the last few years, although it's been around for 21 years now, in the last couple of years, it's uh, suddenly taken off in a massive way in terms of traffic and demand for uh, coverage and advertising and the like. And that also depends on having decent connectivity. In fact, we're wrestling now with the issue where um, our host is not providing adequate connectivity and we're moving our host to a new provider who's going to ensure that we don't have the latency that we're getting with um, the current host. So it's not just about the connection in our own office, but it's also the connections of our providers and the ecosystem within which we operate that uh, becomes vital to high performance. Nice. And Arthur, I just want to congratulate you on entering the Hall of Fame. It, it must have been a fantastic achievement for you. Uh, so what I wanted to do is... As I keep mentioning Arthur Goldstuck's uh, household name, can you let us know how we can get hold of you? So there's many ways. I'm always amused when someone says, you're so hard to get hold of, which usually is shorthand for, I haven't tried to get hold of you yet. So <laughs> you can go to the World Wide Works website, worldwideworks.com. You can go to the Gadget website, gadget.co.za. Um, they all have my contact details on them. I have a speaker site as well, arthurgoldstuck.com, which has a form that you can actually fill in if you want to get hold of me. You can also get hold of me on Twitter. Um, I'm very active on Twitter. And um, if people want to uh, contact me and uh, leave a message on Twitter, I'll usually respond to that. It's not as quick as via email, I have to say. But uh, the one piece of advice is if you are going to ask me to contact you via Twitter, then follow me first. You know, uh, meet me halfway so that I can DM you. Uh, but um, the probably best way of getting hold of me is by email on Arthur, A-R-T-H-U-R, at Worldwide Works, that's W-O-R-X, dot com. So that's it for this episode of the OpenServe podcast. Arthur Goldstuck, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been an absolute pleasure having you here. Thank you very much, Daryl. It's been fun talking.
And it's also been great catching up with you. It, it's been a fun talk, very interesting, very insightful. And once again, I cannot thank you enough for doing this for us. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me on your show. Thank you for listening to this edition of the OpenServe podcast. If you'd like to share it with family, friends, or work colleagues, follow us on Facebook under the Smart Connection. Don't forget to download the all-important OpenServe Connects app from your chosen app store, as well as visit connect.openserve.co.za. Hit the subscribe button on your preferred platform and make sure you don't miss out on a single episode. Connecting you to this podcast is just one way which OpenServe is connecting South Africans to a better life. Join our broadband network today by visiting our website at openserve.co.za and download the OpenServe Connect app from your app store.